What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Modern Podcast for Sunday, January 17th, 2021. So glad to be with you. Jimmy Davis here. And remember, our website is themoderatepodcast.com. Visit us on Twitter at the Mod Podcast one Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash themoderatepodcast. Those are the places I interact mostly. Um, Instagram at the Mod- Moderate Podcast. All those places. Also, don't forget to write a review on your favorite podcast catcher. Apple Podcasts comes to mind. Uh, give us a rating there. If you go to our website, you can click on the... Uh, there's a link there. There's actually a little banner for Podchaser. So if you want to leave us a review there, um, that would be great as well because it doesn't matter what platform you're on. You can just use that for any type of thing and give us your feedback. I'm always interested in hearing from listeners and uh, I always appreciate it. So it, it is weird. Um, we have some weird weather going on right now in um, Southern California. You know, I know a lot of the other parts of the country, it's the middle of winter, you know, 20 degree days, if that, sometimes even colder. And I watched the LA Rams get beat by the Green Bay Packers, unfortunately, and there were snow flurries and stuff like that. I've And I've spent winter time, not the whole entire winter, but sometime in winter time in Wisconsin, um, with some friends for, you know, I've, I used to go there for, for new years. And, um, that was very, very different than, uh, than here right now. Um, at my home, my, the temperature outside is 80 degrees and our high today is 86 where I work in orange County on Friday, it actually got up to 93 degrees. So it's pretty, it's, uh, we're going through a bit of a heat wave yet by Wednesday, I think it's supposed to be back down in the sixties. So, um, you know, we, we want this, we, we, we understand we're in Southern California, especially where I live in Inland empire. It's going to be cold. It's going to be hot, but usually that's reserved for the summertime. Now at night, it's still actually getting down into the forties. So there's a big, you know, dip in temperature here and where I moved, you know, we, we talked about my move. Um, we've actually had so much wind here and I knew it was more windy where we moved than where we used to be. Um, but we're looking on the Facebook groups and a lot of other people have moved here recently and they're like, is it always like this? Is it always this windy? And people that have lived here for a long time have said, no, and this is actually the worst we've seen it. And they've been here for, you know, 12, 15 years. I mean, the community I'm in, the oldest homes in the entire city were probably built around 2000. So it's a very new um, community. So there's nobody that's been here for 50 years unless they're a farmer. Um, cause there used to be, this is used to be all farmland. So, um, and now it's not, there's still a couple of farms left here and there, but for the most part, it's, it's become housing. And I know there people are like, Oh my God, that's terrible, but we need housing. I mean, if you're not going to put it there, where are you going to put it? You, you, you have to make some sacrifices. You have to make some choices. People need places to live. And the reason that the, the, that mentality is part of the reason that California real estate is so expensive because there's a lot of nimbyism here. You know, people talk about regulations and things like that, but really it's just to cover for nimbyism. And we'll maybe go into that um, in an episode in the future because that's obviously, you know, given what I do for a living, that's something that uh, we, that, that I, I have a good deal of knowledge about that I could share with you. So Obviously, uh, we had a big show last week um, talking about the Georgia phone call, talking about the riots at the Capitol, and there's been still continuing to be fallout from that. But I did want to play a couple of clips from the Iowa senators, uh, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley, and I wanted to kind of just, uh, there was some interviews, some thoughts about uh, impeachment, some thoughts about the incoming administration. So uh, first, let's hear from uh, Joni Ernst. Have today introduced articles of impeachment for the president. Do you think that's the right way forward? Right now? I don't know that it is. Um, you know, we'll see what they present. But I think this close to moving forward with the Biden administration, I think we really need to start bringing the nation together. We need to start healing. And I want to make sure that that transition is as peaceful as possible. 
And I don't know that we should be stoking the fires anymore right now. Let's let's move into the, the Biden presidency. Do you believe that the president can move on peacefully, that he will allow that to happen? I do believe that he will. He has made that commitment. He needs to honor that commitment. It is really important that we bring our nation back together. It is imperative that we have a peaceful transition. We have many nations around this globe that are watching the United States right now. And I think let's, let's move on. Let's get President Biden into place. Let's get the new administration going and let's start healing our nation. I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Um, there's too many people on the left that want to continue to nail um, Trump to the wall even after he leaves office. Um, you know, there, there was talk of, you know, Biden possibly pardoning, uh, Donald Trump as part of that healing process and he would get a lot of blowback from his party, but that blowback might be better than the alternatives. And, you know, to this day, even here four days or three days before the inauguration of Joe Biden, we still have people that think that this is still some kind of setup and that, you know, there's somebody that, that posted that, that, that they're setting a trap. They're entrapping Joe Biden, essentially, that he won't actually walk in the grounds of the white house. Cause once he does, he won't leave because uh, he'll get arrested or something like that for all the crimes against humanity that he's committed. Um, and that Donald Trump would then stay in as president, even though that's not the way it works. I mean, you know, we've talked there, there, later in the show, we're going to talk about misconceptions and that's the name. That's the, that's the title of this episode because, you know, we've heard things about section 230. I, I touched upon it last week and I said, I would talk about it today. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the 25th amendment. That's something that's been brought up a lot. Um, you know, they urged the, the con or at least the house urged, um, Pence to, in, you know, to lead an effort to invoke the 25th amendment. So we're going to talk about what that means. But there's also the 20th Amendment that was enacted in the 30s. And that basically moved the inauguration. Part, part of what it did is it moved the inauguration of the president from March 4th to January 20th. Because you, can you imagine that we had the election you know, on November 3rd? And if we had to wait till March 4th for Trump to, be, to leave office. Can you imagine doing another month and a half of this? I mean, that's... That is just does not sound any way attractive at all. Um, but in terms of healing, there the, because you know Trump has done two things to his cult, and that's what they are. They're a cult. Number one, he poisoned the well on the election, right? And he did that before the election. He said it was going to be stolen if he lost. He even he even said that at one point. If I lose, it's because they stole it from me. Well, he lost. So, of course, the next logical step to that argument is it was stolen. But the other thing that he has done, obviously, with how he has talked about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and going all the way back to what he was impeached for the first time in the Ukrainian phone call, um, you know, talking about the Biden's involvement there, that is becoming that is being moved to the forefront again now already. So no matter what Biden does, the the Trump the Trump, the Trump Republicans, really, I mean, that's, I, I've coined that term already, and that is what they are. The Trump Republicans are going to continue to go down this rabbit hole for the next four years. And we have a congresswoman that's, you know, already not going to waste any time on that. We're going to play a clip of that later in the show. Um, so then you've got Chuck Grassley, who is, uh, well, he was the pres the Senate president pro, pro tempore, and that means he was third in line of the presidency. So you go vice president, speaker of the house, and then the the Senate president pro tempore or pro tem, and he he would be the next one in line. Well, now that the Democrats have taken over, that role is going to change. I'm not sure who's going to take that role on the Democratic side. So you know, in in Chuck Grassley's in his 80s, a very veteran. Uh, senator, the the senior senator from uh, from Iowa. So let's listen to what he had to say uh, this week. So the point is that you just uh, you just look to January twentieth, and there's no uh, Trump around anymore. 
and history is going to judge what he what he has done. But I, I can tell you this: that what happened on Wednesday, and you know, being part of the leadership, I was got out of there very fast. So I saw it mostly like you did on television. But uh, that sort of insurrection is uncountable, and the, the president's comments didn't help the matter any, and, and made it worse. Can you tell us? I think that that, uh, that President Biden is going to want the Senate to spend their time, at least near term, getting his cabinet approved, and near term but longer term, get whatever is, is on his agenda. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what that agenda is. And you heard me say today, I hope he's got something on prescription drugs that he wants to accomplish because I want to help him. So uh, there, again, there is some comments about, you know, healing and, and working in the right direction. Now, if McConnell, as the now Senate minority leader, can continue to move that, at least in the Senate, the Senate will then cement their role as kind of the more sophisticated of the branches of or of the of the houses of congress because that was always what they were intended to be remember the house of representatives is the direct representatives of the people and that was always the intent of it whereas the senators you know even up till a hundred years ago they were all appointed they weren't even elect directly elected they were appointed by governors i think there was finally a constitutional amendment that ended that practice and they became directly elected. But that was always the intention. That was the, sen the Senate, and that's why they also have longer terms. They have six-year terms, so that they could be more removed from the politics, and they could actually, you know, be the ones to, you know, get to work and get things, you know, going. And that's why there are, you know, there's separation of powers in between the House and the Senate. The, you know, the House impeaches, the Senate does the trial, and the House can impeach on a simple majority, the Senate has to do a two-thirds vote. So they actually have, you know, you could have impeachment articles come up all the time, but ultimately it's going to take bipartisan um, or it's going to take cooperation between parties. Because again, the other thing that you don't remember, that you have to remember about our founding was that there was never, we were never intended to have a two-party system. And the electoral college was only to be the place to go, look, we've, you know, to basically pick the top candidates for then the Congress to choose from. So that's, that was another, you know, reason that, that it was structured the way it was structured. It was never intended that the people would directly elect the president. Um, because remember, they wrote these, they wrote our founding documents in the time of, I mean, it still was a radical change from what was going on at the time. But they were still used to that parliamentary form of government. You had the king who had ultimate authority, but you also still had the parliament. And, you know, I think that uh, that's part of what we need to, uh, you know, to remember. And so, uh, again, I, I think that um, this whole thing was something that we need to really do some introspective thinking on. What happened on the 6th? I mean, you know, on one hand, you can say it was just a bunch of wannabe revolutionists, right, and dismiss it at that. But again, it's still a, an attack on our capital. Now, I, I'm not, you know, I think we're starting to see some, some conspiracy theories on the left in terms of people that were involved directly involved like they actually actively took an active role in coordinating this thing i think some people were duped um into you know but also you got to remember the the capitol is a public building i've been inside the house chamber because they used to do tours um in in the in, in the in the capitol you know even you know they have only stopped because of covid pretty much but they give tours of the Capitol building. So it's not like people can't go in there and know what's in there. There's not a lot of secrets there. So that's where I'm a little confused as to why people are like, well, well, how'd they know how to get around? But it's because it's a public building. 
people can go there. They probably have traveled there for vacation. And, you know, I've been to Washington, D.C., and, and that's part of what I did. Um, so, you know, again, I think that there's some... Um, but anyway, I don't know. Then there was talk about sedition and treason and what those things are. Um, I, I don't want to go too much into that, but, you know, they're accusing, obviously the president of inciting an insurrection. That's what the article of impeachment is. Cause we talked about impeachment and that's on the table again. Um, and that, and he actually was impeached this week. So, you know, the Senate trial would theoretically start Tuesday at the earliest, because that's when uh, the Senate will go back into session. But, you know, there's the question as to whether or not this will actually mean anything. And whether a, a president that is no longer president can be impeached. Now, there's this conspiracy theorists that are saying, well, the reason that they're still moving forward with this and to impeach him is because they know he's going to be in office past January 20th. No joke. People are saying that. I'm like, you know, there, anything is possible with the Internet, largely thanks to Section 30, which, we'll, again, we'll talk about later. But... Uh, you know, the, the, but the, the, the thing that you have to remember is if he's impeached, then they can justify taking away his, secure, his Secret Service security uh, detail. They can justify taking away his pension, which really doesn't matter that much. Um, they can take away his, um, his travel allowance. But the most important thing is they can prevent him from running in 2024 which means that this isn't po political, I don't think. It's not as political as the first one. And I think that the first impeachment was a major, major mistake because that impeachment is now what is making this one, which is much more legit, look like it's petty because it's, it's political. And that's what gives people pause to think that because now the Democrats, even if I believe what... Trump did on that phone call was inappropriate. If it was part of a bigger thing that led to other things, then that would be maybe evidence of a bigger crime. But the phone call in and of itself, I don't believe was enough. I don't think it was enough. Um, because now if it had led to something, like I said, if it had led to something bigger, then maybe. And it could have if it hadn't been stopped. You know, that's the other thing is that if that had been allowed to continue and that behavior to continue and maybe utilizing the government to do those investigations, then maybe there was something impeachable there. But I think that there was just it was still scant enough that they shouldn't have moved forward with it. I think Nancy Pelosi knew that he, she she saw the fact that this was being politicized, but she had a lot of people on her side of the aisle pushing for this to happen. And so she allowed it to happen. So. That's, that is an unfortunate thing because now you have this actual issue. But the reason that this can still be something is because of not running in 2024, which for, for if you want, if this was political, they'd want that because I think this has proven even more. These last few weeks have really shown people who this guy really is. And therefore, they don't want probably to be, you know, there's, he's not going to get as much support as he did this time, even in, no, in this past November. His, his support's going to go down because now he's only about, set. you remember, his numbers, he consistently talked about how his numbers were in the high 90s in terms of with Republicans. Now they're in the 70s. That's not going to get it done because the, the Republicans are already a minority party. The dominant force are... Uh, non-associated, independence. That is the biggest chunk of voters in this country, followed by Democrats and then Republicans. Well, if they're going to alienate 30, even 30% of their party, then there's no way he can win. He still might be able to win a nomination. That's the thing. He could still win the nomination in the Republican Party. I do believe that. But I don't think he can win a national election and he's going to get trounced even more. And then we're going to have all these theories about st stolen elections again because the Trump people 
believe in their cult and they believe that there's their numbers are way bigger than theirs just based on rallies sizes. I mean, that's what they talk about. They talk about how big his rallies were. Well, so what? Again, we've talked about how, how much that is. You know, and they're like, well, you know, and then, you know, prominent conservative, I think it was Ryan Fournier, he said, well, you know, Biden had only a thousand people show up to his live event on on YouTube, and they say this guy got votes, got more votes than than Obama. Yeah, we do, not because they like Biden, because they hated your guy. That's 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 why. So one of the fallouts of this is we're going to talk now. We're going to start getting into this misconceptions uh, piece of the program. Um, is the banning of conservatives on Twitter? Obviously, Trump got banned. Um, we've seen other, uh, prominent conservatives get banned, but mostly ones that have really been pushing the real crazy, crazy conspiracy theory stuff. Those are the people that have been eliminated. Cause I still see, you know, Tommy Lauren and Ryan Fournier. And I even see Rudy Giuliani on, um, on Twitter still. So, you know, and Jim Jordan and all these other people. So I see, you know, all these conservatives complaining about how they're being silenced. But I'm seeing it on Twitter. So wait, wait, wait. So let me let me let me let me make sure I get this 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 straight. You're telling me that the that conservatives are being silenced on the, the platform that you're you're but you're using the platform that you're saying is silencing you to tell me that you're being silenced. Is that is that what I'm hearing? You cannot be serious. I, I sh- I don't know. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like they're silencing our voices as I'm telling you they're silencing my voice, even though I'm telling you on the platform that I'm saying is it's twisted logic. So here's a tweet from Jim Jordan on Twitter, complaining about Twitter that he's that, that Twitter is silencing him yet. Um, again, I'm not, I, I can't make this up. I, I can't make this up. Um, Jim Jordan, this was five days ago. The left won't let you go to church, won't let you go to work, won't let you go to school. And now they don't want you to be able to speak. Again, number one, most conservatives are still on, on this thing. Okay. Most conservatives are on, on Twitter still. Um, so they, 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 but they blocked the the leader of the cult and that is just you know the biggest sin ever and that's the problem right but then twitter on the 12th of this week comes up with this this is from the the handle at policy this is twitter public policies their official this is an official twitter handle Ahead of the Ugandan election, we're, we're hearing reports that internet service providers are being ordered to block social media and messaging apps. We strongly condemn internet shutdowns. They are hugely harmful, violate basic human rights, and the principles of the open internet. Um, while I recognize differences in the government shutting them down versus Twitter as a private company, making those calls, I completely get the difference. I completely see the difference. I totally understand it, okay? But it's a little tone deaf to say that in the midst of them actually, they are, I mean, even though they're not taking a lot of them down, they still are taking some down, including the president of the United States. And there's some regret there. I think there's a little bit of regret. Now, people think, though, that the... You know, you're hearing a lot of about how Twitter is violating people's First Amendment rights. Well, that would have to then extend to the fact that Twitter is an arm of the government. It's a privately owned company. They make their own decisions. And we're going to talk about why, though, that there may be some gray area to that for Twitter in particular or, or social media more in general, especially the big ones. You know, if you want to argue, you know, the thing that concerns me more is the parlor thing, even though I can't stand parlor and I can't because it's an echo chamber, like no, nobody's business. They talk about being non-censored, but it's really just for Republicans. And if you get, go in there and you give a dissenting viewpoint, you get, you get lambasted. You don't get blocked. To be fair, you don't get blocked, 
but you just get lambasted for it. And I've seen it happen to people that have tried to go in there. And so, but the fact that you had Apple, Google block it from their, their app stores, and then you have Amazon actually remove the platform from their servers altogether because they hosted it. That to me is a little bit more dangerous because that is showing some signs of anti-competitive behavior. So, you know, now it's maybe not more, it's not as much of a first amendment argument as it is an antitrust argument. That's, that's the key thing here. And, you know, you've had the, these, you know, you've had Twitter and Facebook buying up a lot of these tech companies. So you're, you know, your, your big ones are Google, Apple, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook. Those are your major five, right? Um, and they've bought other platforms that have been up and coming, you know, so you've seen them buy Instagram and you've seen them buy Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these other things that are out there to consolidate the business. And now you're, you're starting to see kind of a, um, a market dominance that is not quite reminiscent of AT&T. It's a little bit different because you can still have freedom to choose. AT&T, you didn't have a freedom to choose. It was a public utility. Everyone had to have it. And they, they didn't even allow other equipment to be used on their thing. Now, maybe Apple, <laughs> they're pretty shut down on their stuff, but I digress. Anyway, I think, though, that that does not intrude on the First Amendment. It does intrude maybe on um, competitive business practice, though. But, but and so Jack Dorsey kind of had a little bit of a, mm, probably a little bit of a, maybe a conscious consciousness moment. And so here he had a Twitter thread. I'm, I'm going to try to read through this. Um, I don't know how long it is, but hopefully it's not too long. Okay. I do not celebrate or feel pride in our having to ban Donald Trump from Twitter or how he got here. After a clear warning, he, we take this action. We made a decision with the best information we had based on threats to physical safety, both on and off Twitter. Was this correct? I believe this was the right decision for Twitter. We faced an extraordinary and an untenable circumstance, forcing us to focus all of our actions on public safety. Offline harm as a result of online speech is, de is demonstrably real and what drives our policy enforcement above all. That said, having to ban an account has real and significant ramifications. While there are clear and obvious exceptions, I feel a ban is a failure of ours ultimately to promote healthy conversation and at a time, and at a time for us to reflect on our operations and the environment around us. Having to take these actions fragment the public conversation. They divide us. They limit the potential for clarification, redemption, and learning. And it sets precedent I feel is dangerous. The power of an individual or corporation has over a part of the global public conversation. The check and accountability on this power has always been the fact that a service like Twitter is one small part of a larger public conversation happening across the internet. If folks do not agree with our rules and enforcement, they can simply go to another internet service, except when they get shut down, of course. I added that part. This concept was challenged last week when a number of foundational internet tools pro tool providers also decided not to host what they found dangerous. I do not believe this was coordinated. More likely, companies came to their own conclusions or were emboldened by the actions of others. This moment in time might call, call for this dynamic, but over the long term, it will be destructive to the noble purpose and ideals of the open internet. A company making business decisions, making a business decision to moderate itself is different from a government removing access. You can feel much, yet it, yet can feel much the same. That's a good point. Yes, we all need to look critically at inconsistencies of policy and enforcement. Yes, we need to look at how our service might incentivize distraction and harm. Yes, we need more transparency in our moderation operations. All, can't, all this can't erode a free and open global internet. The reason I have so much passion for Bitcoin is largely because of the model it de demonstrates, a foundational internet technology that is not controlled or influenced by any in single individual or entity. This is what the internet wants to be, and over time, more of it will be. We are trying We are trying to do our best, and they talk about initiatives that they're going to take and how they're going to build the, uh, the, the open source architecture and things like that. So they go on and talk about that, but that was the, that was the big uh, bulk of it. Now, I think that this is showing that because it did have a big negative impact on their business, their stocks went down as a result of some of these bans, especially the especially Donald Trump, because business people recognize that he drove a lot of traffic to their app. 
And the more traffic that comes to their app, the more their ad space is valuable because ultimately that is what they're in for. They're in for the information they get from you and being able to sell it and also advertising that you you know you see promoted tweets and people buy those. And so that's where they make their money. And if they have less eyeballs on their app because somebody's missing, well, guess what? That's what's that's going to be the result of it. But something else happened. I'm going to play a clip for you from Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I guess she was doing some kind of Facebook live chat maybe um, where this came up. And this, this to me, it, because she's now, because she is a, a member of Congress, so she is a government official saying these things, this is where it hits home a little bit more for me. And this is where she's, where she's going with this is a very slippery slope. So let's play um, this clip. Any discussion in Congress about federal truth and reconciliation or media literacy initiatives to help with healing? I definitely, so there, I can't say, I, I don't think that the response, the, that this kind of like medium term response has um, fully crystallized yet. But what I can say is that there's absolutely a commission that's being discussed, but it, it seems to be more investigatory um, in style rather than truth and reconciliation. Um, and so I think that's an interesting concept for us to explore. Um, and, you know, I do think that uh, several members of Congress in some of my discussions have brought up uh, media literacy because that is a part of what happened here. Um, and we're going to have to figure out how we reign in our media environment so that you can't just spew disinformation and misinformation. It's one thing to have differing opinions, but um, it's another thing entirely to just say things that are false. Um, and so that's something that we're looking into. So the Congress, so what she's basically telling us is the Congress is looking into a media literacy a campaign and a truth commission. Um, this is this is not unheard of. It is unheard of in this country, um, in it, but it wasn't unheard of um, in South Africa after the apartheid, and um, and how you know when Nelson Mandela came into power and they wanted to look back at people that had committed crimes against humanity, and so that's what we're talking about here. It's something like that. Um, when you have somebody that's talking about in, in Congress that is talking about reigning in the media, that is a very, very scary precedent. And this is what people talk about when they talk about people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and why she is dangerous. Even if they agree with her, you know, if you agree with her policy and you want, you want us to go in a more socialistic direction, She's still on the pretty far fringe, and there are people on the left that are getting there. You have the squad that's very, very progressive. You have Bernie Sanders in the in the Senate, but you also, you know, and that, and that counterbalances the the crazies that are on the right. Your Marjorie Taylor Greens, which we're going to play a clip for in a second. But going back to AOC, you remember when she first got elected, she made some comments that were factually incorrect. And so after she was fact-checked on these claims um, about those particular claims, she said, and I quote, people want to really blow up one figure here or a word there. I would argue they are missing the forest for the trees. I think there is a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, semantically correct than being morally right. So... If you're going to talk about factual stuff and not being factual, which is what she's doing, um, then are we going to go based on what she believes is morally right in these in, in this media literacy campaign? And who makes that decision? Who makes that decision? Does she make that decision? Does do you know, people like her make that decision? Do people on the right make that decision? But the reality is, is that nobody should be making that decision because 
we have the First Amendment. The First Amendment, it doesn't stop you from lying. You can't defame somebody and lie about them, about a person to defame them. You know, there, there are defamation laws, there are libel laws, and the reason that exists is because your exercise, the exercise of your freedoms ultimately cannot infringe on the exercises of others. And so if you say something that's, that you know is false about somebody and you accuse them of something falsely, they can go after you. That, that type of speech is not allowed because what you're, by you saying what you're saying and accusing them that, of that, that may deprive them of their rights. So you can't use your First Amendment to, and I'm again, if I'm, you know, I know there's attorneys listening out here. If I'm screwing this up, please let me know so I can issue a correction next week. But basically, you know, part of part of your the rights that you have, part of your obligation under those rights is not to um, deprave people of their rights because they have rights on that are on footing with yours. So your rights to say something, even if it's false, can't be more important than the than the rights you're infringing on a, on a different person. But you know you can make the argument that that's what Donald Trump was doing. Um, you can make the argument that maybe he was defend. You know that's why he was very aloof and very vague when he talked about accusations of Joe Biden or Hunter Biden and things like that because. He's one that understands libel laws very well because he's 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 been suing people all his life. So that's part of his DNA. That's part of what he does. So he understands, you know, what how far he can push things without being sued. So anyway, that's the crazy on the left. Now let's talk about the crazy on the right. Marjorie Taylor Greene was on Newsmax, and I found an article about this, but then rather than playing, you know, rather than reading you the article, I'm going to let it come from her own two lips. Congresswoman, I understand, though, you have something uh, pressing, something important and something new you'd like to share with everybody. Yes, I, I would like to announce on behalf of the American people, we have to make sure that our leaders are held accountable. We cannot have a president of the United States that is willing to abuse the power of the office of the presidency um, and be easily bought off by foreign governments, uh, foreign Chinese or Chinese energy companies, Ukrainian energy companies. So on January 21st, I will be filing articles of impeachment on Joe Biden. Wow. Articles of impeachment on Joe Biden on his first full day as president. I'm looking at Hunter Biden right now. So uh, we're talking about Joe. Obviously, we know Hunter's got issues as well. Um, how is that going to work? You are a freshman. Uh, you're in the minority. Um, what will happen next? Is this symbolic or can you really do something uh, about this? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm a big believer in having people in office that are actually willing to do the job. And I, I can't imagine people in this country uh, being so fearful of a future of a Biden presidency that they may be willing to commit violence like they did in the Capitol here in Washington, D.C. We cannot have that. I do not condone that violence. The American people need hope. They need to know that there are Republicans in Congress that are willing to stand up and fight for them, regardless of being in a minority, regardless of having all at odds against us, against me or against anyone in Congress. We have to hold people accountable. Joe Biden is on record on the phone saying that he would withhold a billion dollars of foreign aid if he didn't get his way with these deals with his son, Hunter. And there's an ongoing investigation with Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, into being bought and paid for by Chinese, communist Chinese energy companies. This is a dangerous threat to our country when we have a man that will be holding the power of the presidency, but um, will so easily and is on record for abusing power. Wow. Um, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time because I got other things we're going to talk about in the episode today. But first of all, uh, they, when she made the announcement, they actually flashed Joe Biden or uh, Hunter Biden up on the screen. That's why he said, well, we're looking at Joe Biden here or Hunter Biden here, but we're talking about Joe. And, but Hunter has his own issues. 
Um, you know, she brings up the, 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 you know, she called it a phone call. It wasn't a phone call. It was actually an interview. And he was reflecting back on, um, you know, some of the things that happened during his presidency. And that was particularly talking about, you know, stopping corruption. And again, we've talked about this over and over and over again. And it bears repeating, I guess, because people are bringing it up again. But the whole thing with Joe Biden, number one, he was ordered to do that. He was ordered to, he, he was given the prerogative to withhold the money unless they fired this guy because he wasn't doing anything. They're accusing him of stopping an investigation because Shokin, who is probably, you know, we're going to believe this guy who was accused of, you know, having not stopping corruption, probably because he was involved in it. Now, of course, he's going to say, oh, yeah, I was totally trying to stop um, Hunter Biden and they were they didn't want me to investigate him. And that's why they stopped me. Or it could be because he wasn't doing anything and we actually wanted him to, to investigate um, these things. Because do you think that the ambassador, you know, President Obama was going to throw away his legacy over Hunter Biden? Do you really believe that? Because again, this was not Joe Biden's decision. This was the Obama administration's decision and he was sent there on their behalf. He didn't do this on his own. He was sent there on his behalf. And we have the absolute right to say, hey, this aid is tied to this action because this action helps us and it helps you. That's what they're doing and that's why they do it. And so she wants to impeach him for something that didn't even happen yet or that happened in the past when he was holding a different office not something he's actually done in office. He hasn't committed a high crime and misdemeanor in office because he hasn't been in office yet. You can't impeach somebody because of that. Now, people are going to say, well, they they were going to impeach Trump. That never actually came anywhere, though. And to be fair, I think every single president has had articles of impeachment written up against uh, against him. doesn't mean it's gone anywhere. I mean, after all, there's there are 435 um, con- you know houses of representative members. There's going to be some cases, as we can see here, and we know there's plenty. We know of at least probably eight or ten if you combine both sides together. Um, so you know, I I think it's crazy. Obviously, it's, you know the the Democrats are in control. It's not going to go anywhere, but it's just um it, it's just a level of crazy that you know it, it's just political tit for tat like well you did this to my guy so i'm going to do it to your guy type of thing it has nothing to do with oh i'm fighting for the american people it's like no you're not you're fighting for donald trump that's all you care about you you care about sucking up to donald trump why i don't know i i, I don't i don't get i don't get the worship but um again i'm not a member of the cult so i wouldn't know Anyway, um, so when we come back, we're going to talk about Section 230 and the 25th Amendment and kind of break those down a little bit and what they are and what they're not so that people understand what context those are being used for. That'll come up right after the break. This week's episode of the Modern Podcast is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo, to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better informed choices about health. Not to mention that these bars are delicious. I mean, I eat them at work all the time. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and man, do we need that right now. That's why we're teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% off or 15% off for military, teachers, students, first responders, doctors, and nurses. Go to podgo.co slash kind. That's podgo, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash kind, K-I-N-D. Kind Bar, creating a kinder and healthier world, one act and one snack at a time. Welcome back to the Moderate Podcast, powered by Anchor.fm, as we have been since day one. And so I want to talk a little bit about Section 230. Um, Section 230 is something that Donald Trump has brought up um, a a lot 
Uh, he's mentioned it in various contexts. He actually um, vetoed the defense, um, the NDAA, um, that, the National Defense Authorization Act bill, um, because there was not a ban on t- Section 230 in it. And so he, you know, the, he ties this to big tech. And the reason that big tech is out of control is largely because of Section 230. And there is some truth to that in that um, Section 230 is the reason that the internet exists as it does today. Now, maybe that's a blessing, that's a curse, but it couldn't have taken off as a medium of, of communication as it has had it not been for Section 230. But Section 230 is part of the Telecommunications Act of 1934. It's codified as Section 230 of the Telecommunications Act of 1934, the original act of which created the FCC um, under the um, the uh, FDR administration. So in 1996, there was an act that was passed that was um, the Communications Decency Act. And most of that was actually thrown out as unconstitutional. That's where, um, you know, the whole debate on pornography came up and, and indecency on the internet. And, and so there was, you know, the part of it was to stop child exploitation, child pornography, things like that, which is still specifically outlined human trafficking, child pornography and exploitation. That's all sectioned off in 230 as exceptions to the free and open internet, which, you know, we talked about earlier with the tweets from Jack Dorsey. But um, most of the CDA, the Communications Decency Act, was thrown out as unconstitutional because, you know, the bans on pornography altogether and things like that. And it's like, well, what is, you know, how do you define it? It's like, well, if I know, you know, that was when that, that was when the famous line came of, you know, well, you know, I know it when I see it type of thing. And that's why the Supreme Court's like, well, no, you can't define something like that. Like, you're, you know, it's it's got to be the other way around, right? You have to define it. You can't say, well, it's whatever I think it is, basically was the argument, right? But this particular section, it was Title V of the Community Telecommunication, that, that CDA was Title V of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. So... Section 230 generally provides immunity for website publishers from third-party content. So in other words, if the whole reason that this podcast, for example, can exist is largely because of Section 230 immunities. Because basically, if it weren't for that, if I say something offensive or controversial or libellous, then the person that is harmed by it the person that has damages could sue anchor let's say because anchor hosts this podcast so they could sue anchor but because of section 230 anchor is immune from lawsuits based on what i do and let's say i violate copyright let's say i i I play a, a music or i play a you know something that i'm not supposed to i'm not allowed to play because it's not part of the public domain it's copyrighted whatever if I do that, Anchor is not held responsible for that. I am held responsible for that personally because I'm actually the publisher of the content. My, the, the, host, the, the host is not the, um, the, the, the liable for that. They're not the publisher of it. So the section um, 230C1 is actually the 20, is, is what is known as the 26 words that basically... Um, invented the internet, or at least allowed the internet to thrive. And so um, it created the internet is what they say. And this is what it says. It's um, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So in this case, in my case for this podcast, the interactive computer service is Anchor, and I am the information content provider, okay? So that means, in other words, they can't be held liable. Now, over time, there have been lawsuits and exceptions that have been um, weeded out. And so if you were to eliminate this, if you were to the whole thing, you, that would include this section. So this would actually increase censorship. It wouldn't decrease censorship. It would, it would increase it because now 
if Twitter is responsible for all the tweets that are said by billions of people, there's billions of tweets that are done per, every day. If, if Twitter is responsible for all of that, there's no way they can moderate that. And they'd be, they, they would be facing lawsuits every single day, hundreds of them every single day, probably. So it would be impossible for them to operate. They would have to either charge for their service or they'd have to severely limit the actual content that goes on their site. And as a result, people like you and me would have never have a chance to have a platform because it would just be too much. I mean, you can't, right now, anybody can go and sign up for a Twitter account, right, at any time. Anybody can go sign up for a Facebook account, well, I guess, except for Donald Trump. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, although, let's just watch to see what happens on January 21st with that. But we'll, 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 we'll update you on that next week. But this is, this is critical. This is key for us to allow for a free voice on the internet. Because otherwise, if, internet, if, the, if the service providers had to be liable, whether it's you know, Twitter or, in, the, in my case, again, let's use this podcast. If it's Anchor or it's my internet, my ISP, like let's say the, the internet service provider that I'm using to actually interact with the internet and actually publish my content out, push my content out, what if they had to be held liable for that? But the, what Trump is probably more focused on is section 230C2, which reads the following. No provider of, a, of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of a, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or uh, lascivious, lascivious, that's it, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected, or B, any action taken to enable or make available to information content providers or others the technical means to restrict access to material described in paragraph one. So again, um, there are obligations, obligations of interactive computer services. A provider of interactive computer service shall at the time of entering an agreement with a customer for the provision of interactive computer service and in a matter deemed appropriate by the provider, notify such customer that parental control protection such as computer hardware, software, or filtering services are commercially available that may assist the customer in limiting access to material that is harmful to minors, which that's what allows us to put these filters on for you know, your kids, like, like ch child filters for the internet. Such notice shall identify or provide the customer with access to information identifying current providers of such protections. And so there are other fix. So you can't, if you're, you can't commit crimes, you can't, there's no effect on criminal law. There's no effect on inter inter intellectual property law. If there's state laws that aren't necessarily covered by here that are more restrictive, but don't, aren't inconsistent with it, that's fine. No effect on communications privacy law. So nothing in the section shall con construe the, to limit the application of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act of 1986 or any amendments made by such act or similar state law. No effect on sex trafficking. Um, and so <clears throat> those are those are some of the things that you know they obviously point out because again, remember, this is in the context of the telecommunication or the Communications Decency Act. That's what's with this what contained this section. So again, we want the internet to be free, but they also didn't want it to be the wild, wild west where just people can just go out and say anything. And so they wanted to put some limits and they wanted the the but they wanted the policing to be done by the service providers, not necessarily by the government. That was part of why it's written the way it's written. So that Twitter, for example, if they deem to be something to be offensive, they can take it down if they do it in good faith. And you can't argue that they didn't do it in good faith in the case of Donald Trump. I mean, they've plenty of warnings out. They put, they put, you know, uh, they, they put exceptions. They put, they put those dis disclaimers on his tweets um, when they were deemed to be, you know, lying about something or something like that. They've warned him plenty of times to knock it off. 
So the only way to really stop him from doing is just to take him off the platform, right? Because he kept doing BS over and over. And again, part of why Wednesday, January 6th happened was because of how he was behaving on Twitter and on Facebook and putting these things out and making people believe these things. So that's why they did it, because they felt that, they, that this was a coup by the left to steal an election, and they were taking their country back. That's what they were doing, and they were doing it based on the lies of Donald Trump. And so Twitter looked at it and goes, crap, he's using our service to embolden these people, whether he means to or not. You know, that, that could be argued that maybe he didn't mean for that to happen. Okay, fine. But it still happened. And he still kept doing it. And they told him to stop over and over and over and over again. So eventually you just got to pull the plug, right? Now, again, it does create a dangerous precedent. Now, the other thing is, is that because it's in the Telecommunications Act of 1996 or of 1934, really, this, this brings up the interesting argument of public utility. So, for example, the FCC can can regulate per, uh, profanity, right? If you have, you know, the, the seven Pacifica words, you can't say, you know, the words you can't say on over the air, over the normal air. I mean, you can say them here, but you can't say them over the normal air. And so those are the th kind of things also that we have, that have to be discussed. And so does that then make them a private company or a public utility? You know, where does that line get drawn? Because now they're falling under a law that exempts that that shields them from liability, something that's re, you know related to a publicly uh, a public utility that is regulated by the federal government. So does that mean that they then follow under those other rules that they have to follow as well, and the fairness rules and things like that? That could be argued. I don't know if it has been argued, but that could be argued. There's been legislation over time. Um, that have, have tried to challenge Section 230. But Section 230, again, remember, in Reno versus ACLU, the CDA as a whole, with the exception of Section 230, was determined to be unconstitutional. So they allowed Section 230 to remain in place, even though everything else was, was around it was um, struck down. There have been several legal challenges that have validated Section 230 since then. So... Again, I think that's something to to keep in mind. I, I don't think it's going to become an issue going forward because Trump's going to be out of office now. So I don't expect that to see to see that go anywhere now. So Section twenty four, excuse me, the twenty fifth Amendment to the Constitution. Let's talk about that real quick. That was that was bantied about. So the removal of the president, and there's four there's four sections of 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 um, the twenty fifth Amendment. The first one talks about presidential succession. So section one says, and, and by the way, this was passed back in the 60s. It was originally discussed during the Eisenhower administration because he had um, endured several uh, medical emergencies. And there was, uh, it was unsure if, you know, if he's on, uh, you know, if he's in surgery and he's unconscious and something happens, who's going to make that decision? So that was part of what drove this to become eventually something that came into being. Then it kind of further, the discussion even got more intensified once Kennedy was assassinated. So it started with Eisenhower and then it really ramped up under Kennedy and then as a result became law um, in the, by the mid-60s. I believe it became, yes, it became a law after Nevada became the 38th state to ratify it um, on February 10th, 1967. So, um, you know, it, it took us, you know, quite a long time, almost 180 years, about 180 years to come up with this thing, but I guess better late than never. But section one talks about the removal of the president of his, um, upon his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. So it wasn't clear before that if the president became acting president, like he just assumed the powers, but was still you know, the vice, you know, his official title was still vice president. He was acting president, but no, it says this, this clarifies it going to no, the vice president becomes the president period. Section two, when there's a vacancy in the office of vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president. who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority vote of both houses of Congress. 
This has only happened twice, and it's happened both during the 70s, and it was both related to Richard Nixon. So Spear Agnew resigned as vice president for shady dealings he was involved with. Then Gerald Ford became vice president, was, was nominated by the president. He was confirmed by both houses of Congress. Then after Nixon um, resigned and, and um, Ford became president, then um, he then uh, then he nominated Nelson Rockefeller, who then became um, vice president. Now, the interesting thing is that that means that Gerald Ford is the only person to be both vice president and president without having to be elected to either office. So that was <laughs> that just goes to show how messed up the 70s were um, in terms of presidential politics. Section three talks about when whenever a president transmits to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House his written declaration that he's unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office until and until he transmit to them a written declaration to the contrary, such powers and duties shall be discharged by the vice president as acting president. So this is where um, it's been invoked three times. All three times is when um, the president has gone into surgery. It was invoked once under the, the Reagan administration. It was done reluctantly by President Reagan. And then George W. Bush really set the precedent in motion when he got his colonoscopy. Um, Dick Cheney became acting president in both those times. So it actually happened twice during his, his eight years in office. Um, it only was like about an hour and a half each time. Um, but he wanted to make sure that he knew he was going to be out. He knew he was going to be unconscious. So he wanted to make sure that things were all, were all taken care of, especially because both of these things happened post 9-11. So because of that, I think he, he wanted to make sure that in case some really bad crap happens in that one, you know, in that, in that small little window of time, that there's somebody that has authority to take swift and decisive action. Now, section four is really what we're talking about. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but this is basically how it acts. If the vice president and the majority of either the principal officers of the executive department or other such body as, it, as Congress may have provided by law, so that is the cabinet, so the 15 cabinet members, okay? And then also the Presidential Succession Act, which we talked about, goes president, vice president, speaker of the house, president pro tempore, and then it goes through all the different offices in order of their creation. So secretary of state's first, secretary of the treasury second, and so on. Um, so the 15 cabinet members and the vice president transmit to the president pro tem and the speaker of the house, their written declaration, the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of this office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties and the acting president. So this is if maybe the president, something happens, he's assassinated, he's unconscious, and he's unable to you know, carry out the duties, now you have somebody to go in. It also could be mental acuity. So the question came up during the Reagan administration, whether they were going to invoke the 25th Amendment or not. They kept an eye on him. Ultimately, they decided they never had to do that. Obviously, ultimately, he was um, diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, maybe had early signs of it while he was in the White House but never to the point where they were going to remove him from office. So then if that happens, obviously if this were to happen in the case of Donald Trump, he would challenge it. So if the president can then transmit to the president, the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House, um, his, his written declaration that no ability exists, he shall re resume the powers of the duties of his office unless the VP and the majority of the, of the cabinet um, transmits within four days to, to the to the president pro tem and speaker of the house their written declaration that that he was still unable to do that so they have to do it twice they have to do it once to initiate the process once the president says no i'm good they have to do it again and then there's a hearing then congress hasn't hearing they have to assemble within 40 hours for the purpose if not in session otherwise they have to do it immediately they hold, and if the Congress within 21 days after receipt of the latter written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines that by two-thirds vote of both House that the president, both House that the president is unable to discharge, the president shall continue to discharge the same act as, as acting president, otherwise the president shall resume his office. So in other words, then the Congress determines it. It has to be two-thirds vote of both houses. And if they determine that the president is to be removed. The vice president continues as acting president. Otherwise, the president continues. That's why the 25th Amendment probably would have worked in this situation because they would have removed him. And by the time they got this all settled out, 
the timing would have been fine where he wasn't going to be president anymore anyway. Biden would have been inaugurated. So in this case, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But if they had tried to do it when they talked about it two or three years ago, we probably would have ended up in the situation that you wouldn't have been able to get two-thirds of both houses to remove him from office because he was very popular at that point in the Republican Party. And remember, the Democrat or the, the Republicans had controlled the, um, the the Senate the entire time he was president. In the first two years, even the House was in was in Republican control, and there was no way they were going to remove him. So that it would have been a futile effort. It would have just caused caused chaos in the cabinet, and then he would have installed people that were really loyal to him. And I doubt that you would have been able to get eight of those fifteen to go along with it. So that's the twenty fifth amendment. That's how that would have worked. It wasn't just a matter of they can just unilaterally do it and it's a done deal. There was a process to go. But because of the timing and it's so close to the end of his administration, it could have had the same effect of basically them doing it unilaterally just so that we can get these through these last few days. So hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully that, that, that educates people on this a little bit. So I think that's going to that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you for joining us on the Moderate Podcast this week. Our website is, again, once again, themoderatepodcast.com. Please check it out. Write us, read, write us a review and rate us on Podchaser. That'd be cool if you could do that. Um, email address is host at themoderatepodcast.com. People have had success reaching me on Facebook Messenger on our um, Facebook page at the moderate or facebook.com slash themoderatepodcast. Of course, my most frequently used social media is Twitter. Um, it's that can be found at the mod podcast one. So we're going to see what happens this Wednesday when, um, supposedly, uh, Joe Biden will be, uh, <laughs> will be inaugurated as president of the United States. And, um, then we'll see what the reaction is for the people that are instilled in denial. I want to see what they, what they have to say after that happens when, when what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. So I want to see what their next excuse is going to be for president Trump. So Anyway, until next week, keep it, keep safe and keep it real.